Welcome to the Club and Country Podcast here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is not Wes Bowling, but I am honored to be here hanging out with you guys. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Hi, I'm Tim Sullivan. I am the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com, also known as Club and Country, which you may recognize as the name of this very podcast. Um, check it out there or on Twitter at ClubCountryUSA. We're having a loose episode today, Tim, a loose episode yeah. because Wes is out, so we get to play. <laughs> exactly. This is more of a pickup game uh, in the in the backyard. We're going to have a good time. Obviously, Nashville SC is on the international break. We are going to take a look at today on the show what are good expectations, what are rational expectations for Nashville SC in the final six matches of the season as they've got a condensed little schedule here at the end to before decision day on November 7th when they wrap up. What are reasonable expectations for this team? So we'll get into that. We're going to spend a lot of time talking U.S. men's national team, Tim. Because I think on this right now, that's what people, at least for me, that's what I'm interested in. Obviously, we're two thirds of the way through this second round of matches, the October round of matches here uh, after the loss to Panama and the win over Jamaica. They've got another one against Costa Rica on Wednesday evening. So we'll get into all of that. What should the U.S. men's national team lineup look like in the World Cup, which I know is a ways off? But what should it look like? I I, I want to know, Tim. So I've got yeah. a lot of questions for you. We got to we got to knock on wood with that one at this point, still too. <laughs> <laughs> no no question about it. But you know what? It's a podcast. We can run our mouths about it. I just want you to tell the good people what you think gives the United States the best chance to make a deep run in the World Cup and maybe go further than they've ever gone before. You will be the man that tells us those answers, sir. Are you okay with that? Yeah. I- Yes, I will, I will take on the role of Greg Berhalter and maybe maybe come up with a lineup that a lot of fans might like more than what they've seen out of Greg Berhalter from time to time as well. I, I will say I did enjoy the lineup against Jamaica. I'll just say that, and then we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, a little bit later on. Of course, then we'll wrap up the program. We will dive into Nashville SC getting back onto the pitch, of course, against DC United coming up this weekend. So make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Share the show. Make sure you're following Tim and Club Country USA on the Twitters and the website as well. And as usual, you can get to me uh, at Braden Gall. So international break here, Tim. And they get a couple of weeks off, Nashville SC. They come back, and it's not an easy slog to begin. They will finish with the New York Red Bulls on, on decision day. But you've got DC, Philly, and O-City right behind them all sitting right there on the schedule over the next couple of weeks. Six matches to go, second-place team in the table, clearly number two. New England's already at the top of the table for Mm -hmm. good. What do you believe fans should expect over these final six matches? What's a reasonable expectation? Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned Philly, Orlando, and D.C. Um, Those are three, four, and five in the table, and all three of those games coming up for Nashville SC are away from home. Uh, fortunately, softening the blow a little bit is that the other away game in this final stretch is FC Cincinnati, already eliminated from the playoffs, uh, on pace to uh, win its second straight wooden spoon that goes to the worst team in MLS <laughs> annually. So that softens the blow a little bit. And then um, Columbus Crew and, and New York Red Bulls at home are the only two games left in Nissan Stadium over the over the final stages of the year here. So um, Columbus Crew in, in just over a week's time in the midweek, and then New York Red Bulls, as you mentioned, on decision day. I think all three of those games, the ones that aren't against three, four, and five, you say probably need to win them if you want to remain number two in the table. Not because uh, losing them maybe dro- uh, drops you out of that number two spot, but because if you're a deserving number two in the table sort of team, those are games that you win. Um, so I think that's the big deal. And then, you know, beyond that, 
these are these are six pointers against Philadelphia, Orlando, and DC. And and starting with DC, this is a going to be an interesting one because DC feels uh, very disrespected by the five two loss that they received from Nashville SC when they were in Nissan Stadium themselves. So I think if if Nashville were able to get three points from those three games, they're probably feeling pretty good about it because even if you um, lose to Philadelphia Union, for example, they're only a couple points behind Nashville SC. But at the same time, you say they have other games left too. And if Nashville can finish on a strong run with, you know, you know, four wins out of the last six games, you're feeling pretty good about even a loss to Philly um, being able to keep pace with them and, and stay ahead of them in number two. What's interesting is we've talked all season about the home road splits, right? With the home mm-hmm. games, the home matches being front loaded on the schedule and how concerning that might be considering their early road form, you know, later in the year. And certainly it's difficult. You mentioned all three of those teams on the road, but it, it, you could actually argue looking at these last six, you could say, well, look, the games you're supposed to win, two of them come at home and mm-hmm. they're the midweek slots, right? You get Columbus in a midweek slot. You get a trip to Cincinnati in a midweek slot. You sort of are giving yourself the breather in between the big matches on the weekends. And so even though the schedule looked a little odd, I think at first, now that the table and the season has played itself out and you can kind of tell who's going to be the big challengers, it, it, it could be worse in theory for, I know four out of six on the road, but it could be worse as far as how it's laid out for SC, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think um, you look at teams that share their, their pitches with NFL teams, and there's a reason that a lot of Nashville SC's home games were front loaded a little bit. What's really weird though, is you have a Monday night Titans game two days before the Wednesday midweek game, which is one of only <laughs> two, two remaining home games. They couldn't uh, have, have figured that a little bit more, maybe made it space those out a little bit better and, and seeing if they could have, could have made that work. But um, on a more serious note, yeah, as you mentioned, um, it is a situation where you don't have you know, three really tough games and then three really easy games. They are kind of alternating a little bit and that makes it a little bit less strenuous. And of course, a trip to Cincinnati is not easy. No game in MLS is easy, but at the same time, it's probably the third or fourth easiest possible game in this league. So it's something that you can't really worry about if you are the type of team that you think you are at this stage in the year. And, um, you know, these are going to be heavyweight battles against, especially Philly and Orlando, because they come so close to the end of the year. This Nashville team is going to take its show on the road and say, hey, we're the number two team in the table and it's for a reason. Or they're going to go there and say, um, maybe we weren't quite ready for prime time and, and we might drop points there and potentially not end up in the number two slot. Or if they do end up in the number two slot, certainly maybe enter the playoffs with a little bit less momentum than they've had over the previous maybe month and a half or so. I'd like to think that two of the last three being against non-playoff teams mm-hmm. is probably a benefit as well. So again, I'm trying to find the silver linings here, right? Oh, because sure. you've got, you got road matches and it's tough. It's a tough slate to, to rebound from. I, going back to the beginning of the, the year and, and now that you're sitting in second place, but only a couple of points up, uh, should fans be extremely disappointed if they don't finish in second place? Or do we have to take a longer view of it and say, man, it's still been an extraordinary season to be this good this early as a franchise? Or is that, is that, is that unfair? No, I think it's totally fair. When you look at what this team has done so far this year, it has not been, oh, we're in our second year as a franchise. We're happy with whatever we get out of it. This is a team that has gone out and, and tried to prove that it's number two uh, in the East. I, they obviously started out the year trying to prove they were number one and were one of the very few teams to beat New England in the early stages of the season. In fact, of course, the Revs have very infrequently lost since then, which is what has them running away with the Eastern Conference. But this is a team that has shown over the course of the year that it's number two in the Eastern Conference. And um, as you go forward, you 
might not be the most disappointed as long as you end up with a top four spot. You host uh, one of those first round playoff games, but the number two team in the table is the one that's going to get that next home playoff game. You want to see as many home playoff games for this team, especially because, um, you know, I don't necessarily think fans are going to be super sad to leave Nissan Stadium for a beautiful new uh, fairground stadium <laughs> next year. But there are limited opportunities to see this team play in an NFL stadium going forward because they're going to have their own home. And there's a certain charm to it. There's also downsides. I think everybody's well aware of a lot of those. But you want to maximize not only your time at Nissan Stadium, but you want to last as long into each season as you can. And whether that's making it all the way to MLS Cup, which would require beating the Rebs on the road, is a very tough task. But it's something that, I mean, Nashville took a a slightly depleted lineup into New England and earned a draw already this year. You, You never know what could happen. And so we'll see if they can live up to what they've done over the course of the year not only over these final six regular season games, but as they go into the playoffs and potentially, you know, make a run towards MLS cup. I do think that's the right expectation is again. I think if you take three at home on decision day and you do, you handle your business up until that point, you probably finish in second place. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, you get potentially two playoff matches at home. And then all you've got to do is go challenge on the road, and you've given yourself the best opportunity to go challenge deep in the playoffs against New England because everyone knows New England's the best team in, in the East. It's just the way it is. Like you said, there's no – I don't think expectations should be you should go win the Eastern Eastern Conference, right, like in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't think that should be the expectation. I, I, I don't even think that should be the expectation for the Revs either. It's really hard in this league – home or road to beat teams that are motivated to beat you. Yes. I think it's more likely the most likely that the revs end up the number one team, um, you know, not only in the table, but come MLS cup time, the team that emerges from the East, but it's, it's not a guarantee for them either. So for a Nashville SC fan to, to hope that it's a guarantee, I guess, for to beat yeah. new England is, is, is tough. No. And I, and I think I, again, we're not trying to like downplay expectations and try to, you know, get like dampen your mood. If you're expecting to make a deep <laughs> run and, and listen, because I, I mean, I, I think we're both. I'm cynical. I'm assuming <laughs> we're both almost assuming that they make it to New England. So that's, that tells you something about where we feel about it. Exactly. Like that alone. That's like that's like suggesting the Titans are going to play in the AFC Championship game. Like that. That is you. You just that is a very high bar for us to already set. So don't give me the oh, don't don't be a Debbie Downer and tell us we can't win and win the Eastern Conference or whatever. Like it's not. That's not the approach here. I just think our job to, to your point every single week on the on the show, Tim. Mm-hmm. You don't get too high. You don't get too low. You like to play it down the middle and like to be as rational as possible. And I think second place and making a deep run and challenging New England for the conference, I think that is the reasonable expectation. But you got to get your, you got to handle your business over the course of these next six matches. There's no question about it. I, you you got to beat Columbus. You got to beat New York. You got to get those six at home. And then you probably have to make up some, get a couple of points somewhere, maybe steal one against one of these, these, t- these big three on the road. And then all of a sudden you probably have that second place locked down and you have a cleaner path at least to New England. So I think that's, that's yeah. where I would set the expectations for this team. Um, all right. The U.S. men's national team, we'll get to them in just a second. But I will say, you know, the international break comes and you're, you're Nashville SC, you're on a roll, you're a fan, you're feeling excited about it. But U.S. men's national soccer is just special. Mm-hmm. My daughter, I took my four-year-old to the Canadian match and she's doing the whole U.S. and she's doing the whole thing. She's watched the matches with me, Tim. So she's all in on it now. And just getting to watch the armband which I guess it was against Jamaica late in that game. Mm-hmm. Adams comes out and he passes the armband to Walker Zimmerman. And I'm just kind of sitting there with my four-year-old going like, that's our guy. <laughs> like, like <laughs> that's our dude here at Nashville SC. And he is now the captain of the U S men's national team. And I, I, there, there's not really an, any analysis here. 
I think even the announcers, I think, were, were like, oh, this Zimmerman guy's pretty good. <laughs> like, it's almost like they, I know Twelman watches them, but like, it was almost, wait a second, he's winning every ball in the air. Like, well, of course he is. And it was just cool to see. It, it felt like Nashville was being represented on a truly international, I know it's continental stage, but it was just really cool. And there's not really any analysis I have to offer other than that. Yeah, well, I think the crazy thing is that he was not originally on this roster either. He was an injury replacement when John Brooks went out. So he's a guy who not only is, is captaining the team, but uh, I guess in a, in a very micro sense, you could say it's a very rapid rise for him to, to be call, a late call up to become the captain when Adams is subbed out of that first game and then start the match and, and go 90 as the captain uh, in the subsequent game against Panama. Unfortunately, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how that one turned out in a few minutes here. But, but it's definitely a situation where you look at a guy that I think Nash Nashville fans realized he was uh, a national team caliber player, but to see the respect that he's getting, not only from Greg Berhalter, but also his teammates on the national team is something that obviously feels really good. If you're somebody who cares about Nashville soccer and, and cares about how Walker Zimmerman represents Nashville. I do think that's what it's, what it said to me when I first saw him come into the game against Jamaica and they gave him the band and I was like, or sorry, when, when Adam yeah. and I go, I was like, you know, that, that speaks to, how quickly his rise is amongst the players mm -hmm. and, what, and what they think of him, not necessarily, you know, what, what all the rankings and the scouts and the, the dot coms all have to say about him, but like what those players, those, especially a roster full of young, talented guys who we know need to learn how to be veteran stars on the international stage. I think that's a, that's where he plays a huge role. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the professionalism that he's shown, especially for a guy who could show up to camp and say, man, I was called in late. I feel disrespected. Um, he has let it manifest itself only in positive ways. So that's definitely something that you'd love to see too. Now, look, we'll get to Panama on the outcome. I will say if you're going to lose a match on the road, I suppose having your own guy do it to you. And I don't <laughs> care. I don't care if it grazed a hair on Zardi's head. I don't care if that ball did. I'm giving credit to Anibal Godoy who, of course, Nashville SC fans know and, and love. and I, it, it, They're it's, a little less high on them today, maybe. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But you know what? Watching your own club guys go out there and do things mm -hmm. around the world, even if it's against your own country, there's still so many more matches to go in the World Cup. It's not the end of the world. We'll get to what it really means. But, I mean, if it's going to happen, you might as well have it be your own club guy. Yeah, and it's crazy, you know, talking about Zimmerman being the captain. It's, it's less of a surprise when Anibal Godoy is Panama's captain. He's worn the armband for the Canaleros dozens of times but to see those two guys pre-game on sunday yeah, evening was cool. give the hug and shake hands it was like a single tear rolls down your cheek as, <laughs> as a nashville a partisan seeing that happen for sure and and our and alistair johnston is just like like a, a minute's machine it's, yeah it's it's like understood that he's going to be playing for canada every time it's crazy <laughs> he's like 11 years old <laughs> and and you, and you know what and i i've heard I think I've heard Jamie talk about this on the broadcast too, just the subtlety with which he plays and the, the touches that he makes. Um, and I remember the, was it the 17 pass goal that he kind of got started with the big mm -hmm. switch or whatever. And it's, it's, he just does things at such a mature level for such a younger player. Like you just said, it's just assumed now that Canada can't be Canada without Alistair Johnson. Right. And yeah, they've got they've got they've got a dude who's one of the best players on the best team in the Bundesliga, one of the best teams in the world in Bayern Munich. But it's but it's not Alfonso Davies who's so crucial to this team. It's Alistair Johnson. It seems week in and week out. I, I don't know what what is the next. And this is a bit of an aside here. What is the next step for his game? Is it the is it is it being more active, finishing in the offensive third? Is that really where 
that's that where his next game could is the next tier to his game could go. Cause that's not really the position he plays, but he's got that kind of skill. Well, yeah, it's interesting because he has been playing as, as you just kind of alluded to there, kind of a hybrid center back fullback position in, in a back three for both Canada and Nashville lately, which has switched to that back three, but does he become a bigger, stronger guy, maybe taking after Walker Zimmerman a little bit and become more of a true center back, or does he add kind of that final third piece and, and be more of the, the wing back or the, or the, tr- true fullback I guess you could say in a back four that's the thing with him is that he could do either and he could do both and you don't really know it's there's so much potential to his game because he's so versatile it's a big part of it that he could be a very you know very uh, well-rounded player or he could focus into one of those areas and, and really kind of be the sort of guy who is is hyper good at one specific thing, but decent enough in a bunch of other stuff. I I, I think he's got the skill. Like I love the subtlety of his game, so yeah. I think he's got the skill to be that more well rounded player. That's the selfishly, that's the direction yeah. I would like to see him go. No, for um, sure, and play more out on the wing and maybe press the press the issue a little bit more. I, that's that's the next thing to his game. I think he's got the skill uh, to do it. Randall Leal, of course, uh, for Costa Rica, he played the final fifteen minutes against El Salvador. He's coming up on Wednesday as well. So just more Nashville SC all across CONCACAF. I doubt he will be the captain, unfortunately. So we won't see Walker Zimmerman (laughs) shaking hands with another club teammate uh, as they exchange the the banners or whatever those things are called that they switch, that they swap at the beginning of the game. But Leal has been a key player for Costa Rica over the past few years. It is less so in this cycle as, as the Ticos are in a real rough spot and they're kind of moving through a couple different coaching transitions and trying to find their way. He's kind of, I don't know if he's been marginalized or he's chosen to marginalize himself as he focuses on his, his club team career a little bit more. It seems like it might be a little bit of both columns at this point, but uh, I hope we see him. I hope we see him on Wednesday as, as these guys take on the United States. And I hope he has a little bit less good of a time than (laughs) Anibal Godoy did. All right. Well, that, that brings us to, to where the U.S. is at. And we'll get to what we think the lineup or what, Tim, you think the lineup should mm-hmm. be um, for the U.S. optimally. Again, assuming that everybody is fit and healthy and they spend the next however many months developing into the players they're supposed to become, you know, we'll get to what you think that lineup should look like because I think there are a lot of very difficult decisions for the U.S. men's national team, mm-hmm. and I am not qualified to make them. So I'm going to make you do it. <laughs> um, so before we get to that, just we're five matches through. You know, certainly a disappointing showing in the first window, a lot of talk, a lot of arrogance about nine points didn't happen, but kind of come out and they handle their business, control possession, score a couple of times against Jamaica and then Panama. And so through five of the 14 matches midway through this second window, where are you on how this team has developed, has evolved? They're still clearly in in good positioning to make the World Cup and to qualify Mm -hmm. in the top three in the CONCACAF standings. So let's not go crazy here and throw the baby out with the burr halter, but just <laughs> let, let me, that's a good pun. G- give me what you think you've, how do you feel about where this team is at right now? Knowing there's a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it earlier talking about Nashville. So I, I try very hard to be kind of the steady, um, you know, well-reasoned kind of thinker. But um, when you look at the Panama game specifically, that's, that's a bad result. They came out playing for a draw. Um, the lineup choices probably said they were playing for a draw. The uh, lack of energy out, out of the starting lineup probably said they were playing for a draw, and they didn't get it. So that's that's always going to hurt. That's the first truly bad result, I would say. Even draws um, against El Salvador and Canada were not the worst thing in the world, but you, you would have loved to see wins there. But 
losing on the road in CONCACAF is something that's going to happen now and then, but losing to Panama at all in World Cup qualifying is something that had never happened for the United States before. And yes, this is a very different type of Panama team than we've seen historically. Um, they made their first World Cup uh, at the United States' expense back in 2018, but um, it's not just because you know the United States had the, the night in Trinidad that they did have. It's because Panama has been on the rise. That's still not that's still not good enough to go to Panama and play just a lackadaisical game. If you play really hard and end up losing 1-0 on a weird set piece with Anibal Godoy nudging it off Jossie Zardes' head, yes, but <laughs> <laughs> nudging it, nudging it into the goal. That that's a different thing than going out and looking like you're kind of going through the motions. And I think that's something that's yeah. that that is a, a true disappointment. Whereas there were disappointing moments in the first window. This is this is a game that you're gonna look back at and say that shouldn't happen and it can't happen um, at least not more than once or twice more over the course of the cycle to really feel good about qualifying. So it, it like, again, different format, different layout for those that don't know, of course, with the number of teams that are involved. Mm -hmm. So everything's mm -hmm. a little bit different. I think people are starting, you know, I know I'm taking some time to get used to all of that. Yeah. So don't, don't panic too much here off, off of one result, especially with a country that, like you said, is, is, is showing improvement. Does it, can I boil it down this simply and say that, if it's not Mexico and U.S. at the top, it'd be a huge disappointment. And then it's Panama and Canada fighting for that third qualifying spot with the other half spot going to the to the losing team. Or is there another yeah. team in there that you think should be challenging? Yeah, at, at this stage, that's probably what it is. Um, Costa Rica, and you know, I just alluded to the fact that they've been pretty bad. But um, over the course of of this qualifying window, they've they've already won a game, which is something that I honestly did not expect to see them do at all. So they're looking a little bit better. It's also obviously only one result. It does not tell the whole story of Costa Rica, just like a loss to Panama does not tell the whole story of the United States. So I do think it's Panama, Canada, um, in some order as the as the third and fourth best teams in CONCACAF, whether they finish um, you know, second in the table or fourth in the table might be a different story. But for sure, I think those are the ones that you look at and say, the United States needs to feel like they're getting as much as they can against those two teams because I think Mexico at this point um, on 11 points, the United States is on eight points. I think Mexico is getting pretty close to locking in that top spot already. Obviously, we're less than halfway through, but right. um, that's a situation where you say, okay, now we need to focus on making sure we outperform the other guys who are, who are potentially you know, stealing our spot like we saw last time around. And of course, they'll get Panama back at home uh, mm -hmm. coming up. So still plenty of opportunity to, 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 you know, in Canada on the road. So they'll have they'll have plenty of opportunity to win those right. matches, you know, against teams that they're vying for spots for uh, against. I, I will say, before we get to the starting lineup of what the U.S. men's national team could look like in Qatar, I, I, I will say that, and and I didn't even know this, and that that speaks to how how I should know why is that why is VAR not involved in calf like what what is what is the issue here like what are we doing <sighs> big sigh um CONCACAF essentially does not want to subsidize the addition of the, the appropriate camera placements in the stadiums that do not have it yet in Central America primarily I think the stadium in, in Jamaica does not have it either so it's you know United States Mexico Canada obviously are playing exclusively in stadiums that use VAR on a regular basis. Um, Costa Rica has a brand new stadium paid for by the government of China, which is a story for another day. And I think Panama is, actually is I think Panama <laughs> is one of those two. They're trying to curry favor with Central American nations wow. for, for reasons that are well beyond the scope of this podcast, believe it or well, not. It's, but it's, it's not very complicated. They're doing it in basically every country in the world. So yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not that hard to understand. Yeah. So I, you know, those are new stadiums, but you look at El Salvador, 
um, which is, has one in the works, I believe, built by the Chinese government. And then Honduras, I, I think they just, CONCACAF said, we're not going to bother, um, you know, kind of subsidizing the technology, even though it would not be very expensive in the grand scheme of CONCACAF. It's right. It's 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 a it's one less dollar that that the people in charge can grift from Concacaf and, oh, and put God. in their own pockets. I guess. I just it's just it, it that that is beyond comprehension to me. Like yeah, no, it, it's the very world's biggest sure. the world's biggest sporting event, and we can't put replay in, in yeah. a stadium. But make some cameras movable. Okay, you don't have to install them permanently. Take some cameras yeah. and move them around, and have them make the whole contraption be movable. I don't know. I'm not. <laughs> not a technology expert, but it's ridiculous. That's certainly it was certainly an issue in the first half against Jamaica. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that a penalty and then uh, a denial of goal scoring opportunity times two, all three of which uh, the United States victim was winger Paul Ariola, who's a guy who maybe draws the ire of some U.S. men's national team <laughs> fans for not being good enough. But if he gets, if if you know, if one of those three calls gets called precisely as it should, and, and Jamaica's down two men to a red card and, and gives up a penalty as well. <laughs> I think United States men's national team fans are feeling much differently about Par- Paul Ariola than they do today because he would have made all three of those happen. Well, that that uh, they were trailing. DC was trailing when he dropped that one in the bucket in the bucket into the box. It was one of the most beautiful touches I've seen in against Nashville SC. Right? Wasn't that mm-hmm. wasn't that Ariola who did that and just just perfectly placed and. Uh, he's, 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 I think he's a pretty good player that is a nice piece to use in qualifying matches. Absolutely. That's, that's the thing is that you get, a, you get a lot, you get a lot of straw man arguments where people are saying, Oh, you think, you think Ariola is better than Pulisic? It's like, well, no, that's not the question. The question is, the question is, is there, is he good enough to play a role for this team? in this phase of the competition, the answer to which is unquestionably yes. From my perspective, if you have, you know, a fully healthy Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic, um, Brendan Aronson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's a different question because you need to rotate differently in a world cup. You aren't going to have three games in seven days in a world cup. Um, so it's, it's just a completely different question when you have this situation and, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out Sunday night, obviously right. to have him in, to have him in the starting lineup or, or for, you know, a bunch of different guys who did not perform particularly well in the starting lineup. But that, that doesn't mean that this is a guy that can't contribute in some way to the U S men's national team during world cup qualifying. Is Walker Zimmerman going to start for the U S men's national team if they make the world cup? <sighs> that's a tough one. Obviously he was a late call up to this window. So that's something that tells you and he, and he was called up, but did not play a, a minute in the previous window. So that's something that tells you he's maybe on the fringes, but as we mentioned before, this is a guy who also started on the fringes and, and captained the team in the past two games. So maybe he's shown something that it could be because he's, he's maybe a bit more of a like for like replacement for John Brooks, which is something I actually kind of take issue with because Brooks is extremely slow. And I think Walker's <laughs> number one asset is, is his athleticism. Yeah. He doesn't have necessarily the same passing range that Brooks does, but um, from a size perspective, he fills that need for sure. And if you have both of those guys, I actually think that they would be really co- good compliments to each other. Cause Walker is the guy who's going to run around and, and create a little bit of havoc. We see him do it for Nashville while Dave Romney plays a little bit more conservatively. Right. I think John Brooks, could play that Romney role maybe I mean maybe one day John Brooks can aspire to be Dave Romney we'll see (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) I I only ask that because it's like you need to have these types of players that aren't necessarily clear-cut starters because you need guys to fill in in a long process of qualifying you're just gonna have to have some guys that aren't clearly starters but are are, but are totally serviceable you have to have those types of pieces yeah, I think I mean I think Zimmerman is is on the plane to Doha at this point. I would not have said that a week oh, ago, perhaps. Okay. 
maybe he doesn't play if he does make the World Cup, but I do think that he that he's in the the roster at, that travels across to Asia there. So uh, you you mentioned some names, and for those that don't know these names as household names, the the Reynas of the world, and Pulisic mm. is a is a name that we all know that we yeah. know is a superstar. Again, I think he's the most talented U.S. soccer player I've ever seen, maybe ever. So I, mm-hmm. I'll stand by that. Um, but we, we did see, and I was glad to see Ricardo Pepe be in the lineup in Texas from El Paso playing in Austin and to score two goals, 18 years old, basically doing things, any list of things that you can argue <laughs> in a world cup qualifying match as an 18 year old or a teenager, he's done it. He did it basically for the first time since X, Y, or Z year, right? Like, yeah. He, oh yeah. He's accomplishing things that haven't been done in 15, 20, 25 years for a player of his age at this stage of the World Cup qualifying. So it got me thinking. I, I want to know because it seems like there's a few of these guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. Way as a guy that completely changes the dynamic of the game, and you saw that against Jamaica. He's mm-hmm. just the pace with which he plays is extraordinary. So I want to know from you, Tim, as we transition into yeah. what the lineup should look like. We just mentioned we think Z- Zimmerman's on the plane, but maybe not starting. What, there's a lot of exciting pieces for this for this team that fans should be excited about. The question is, what's the packing order? What's the trajectory? Yeah. Who do you want to see in this lineup that maximizes our potential in the World Cup? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously there's there are 11 positions on the field, and, and some of them have a guy who's a locked-in starter for sure. Some of, some of these guys can play multiple roles, and that affects where you see other guys too. And, and there are some of these roles that are still definitely up for grabs. But I think you start, let's just start at the back with goalkeeper. I think you have two guys who are really vying for the spot. You have Matt Turner, who plays with the New England Revolution. Um, He's a big Titans fan, so it must have broken his heart to get scored on twice in Nissan Stadium this year. (laughs) But um, he is, he's the best shot stopper in this pool. Um, Zach Steffen, who plays for a a little club of no note called Manchester City, um, the most wealthy and successful club in the world over the past few years. Talk about foreign funding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, he'll be going to his to his uh, owner's homeland uh, for the World yes, Cup, I guess. Yes. But yeah, I mean, you have those two battling it out. I think if you if you need a shot stopper, you need Matt Turner. If you need a guy who's maybe a little bit more comfortable playing with the ball at his feet, you need Zach Steffen. You need both of those guys, and then whoever the backup is is the backup. Ethan Horvath is a guy who plays um, in, in he's played in various places in Europe. He's currently in the English Championship right now, but he will probably be the third keeper, I think. And then left back is a position where I would not have said there is a locked in starter until the past couple of windows. Anthony Robinson is a guy who plays for Fulham in the English championship. And, and he's a guy that I had been skeptical about for a really long time. He's really grown in his game. He's I've seen the improvements in him. He used to just kind of be a fast guy getting up and down the pitch and maybe whipping in across a little bit of a defensive liability. He's really cleaned that part of his game up. And I think the fact that left back is one of the rarest positions to find. You need to find guys who are um, you know, all the characteristics you want in a fullback and happen to be left footed. Uh, Greg Berhalter, give me a call if you want. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've, he, I've seen your game. I've seen your game. Yeah, yeah, a no, little, I, a little too frenetic. But I agree. Greg, Greg Berhalter probably will not be calling me up, despite that open invitation to him. Every child, <laughs> just like just like baseball players, should all be left. You should teach every child to be left-handed. You should teach every child to be left-footed. True story. <laughs> On the center backs, we just talked about this a little bit with the Brooks Zimmerman conversation, and it could be them. Brooks is is locked in as one of those starters, um, playing for at the highest levels of Germany for you know several years. It's crazy. Fans remember the 2014 World Cup, perhaps he had a, a thundering header that helped the United States beat Ghana, and 
he was like 19 years old at the time. It feels like he's been around forever and he's got to be like 40, yeah. but he's in his late twenties still. So it's crazy. Um, you know, Chris Richards is another guy who plays at Hoffenheim in Germany. I think he's my first choice for the other center back position, but Zimmerman is, is honestly really climbing um, up that position. And um, at right back, you have a guy who's, who's one of the locked in starters, but he's one of those ones where he could be the left back. If you don't like Anthony Robinson that much, Serginho Dest. Um, plays for another club of no note called Barcelona. You might've heard of them as well. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of the teams that I grew up cheering for. So it's definitely insane. I never thought there'd be a, a U.S. men's national team player playing yeah. for Barcelona. Um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and assume we, we see a three-man central midfield because that's what Greg Berhalter has preferred. And it's also uh, makes it very easy to because there are two obvious choices here and, and a third that's becoming increasingly obvious um tyler adams and weston mckinney are your central midfielders they start in that central midfield for every game that they're both healthy and completely fit uh the third starter who knows it could be Yunus musa a guy who uh, was a dual national who committed to the united states somewhat recently and uh he's started the past two games i believe oh, no, he might have come on as a sub he, against he was he was nice against jamaica he yeah good, yeah pretty good match yeah, he, he was one of the guys who struggled early against Panama, but again, basically everybody did. But um, he plays for Valencia in Spain, and he's really making strides as a guy who only recently committed to the United States and, and didn't get an official start because it would have um, you know tied his future to the United States over um, his native uh, England. And he's also eligible for one African nation. I can't remember which one. Um, and Italy. So he's, got a, he's a quadruple national wow. who, is, who, who has picked the United States. Um, I, I like him a lot, but there are a lot of choices there. Um, I already mentioned Brendan Aronson, the kid who used to play for Philadelphia Union. He's now kicking it in Austria with future U.S. men's national team coach Jesse Marsh at Red Bull Salzburg. We'll see how that goes in the long run. But the, the issue is, I think when you look at the, the forward line, there aren't enough spots for the guys that you have. You mentioned Timothy Weah, who's a guy who plays, again, has played for the biggest clubs in the world, Paris Saint-Germain, um, now plays for Lille and also in France. Um, his dad is the president of Liberia, and he opted to represent the United States instead of either Liberia or France. Um, his dad is, is probably better known as George Weah, who's one of the greatest footballers of all time. But um, but in his in his second career as the president of Liberia, um, is, is there Great, even a... greatest footballer of all time and president of a country? Not a bad resume, <laughs> yeah. son. Go out and try to beat that. Oh, I'm going to take the U.S. on a deep World Cup run. <laughs> hey, I, think that would actually, I think that actually would beat it. Setting a bar. But, but it, you know, Christian Pulisic, who we've, who we've mentioned various times, he's you do not keep a healthy Christian Pulisic out of the starting lineup. He has to start at one of the wings. And then that leaves you Giovanni Reina, whose dad is, is former U.S. captain Claudio Reina. He plays... Uh, it will shock you to hear because it happens for all these guys at one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, Borussia Dortmund is a club that Christian Pulisic kind of used as a, as a way to break into the professional game and is now at Chelsea, but you know, you, you can't have Reina and Wea playing wing. If you want to have Christian Pulisic play wing, maybe one of them yeah. slides inside and, and plays that role that I just kind of gave to, to Eunice Musa. We'll see, but that leaves the striker spot where there are a number of options. And, and you already mentioned Ricardo Pepe, the, the young Mexican American out of El Paso who recently committed to the United States over Mexico. It, he's only 19 years old, 18 years old over the course of the next year, maybe he becomes a, a world-class player at this stage. He looks about as good as, as anyone in the pool. Um, maybe he is beaten out by Jesse Zardes, who is made the more consistent uh, performer 
people don't like the way he looks when he plays, but he gets the job done a lot of the time. But it, l- um, lumbering is the term that comes to mind. <laughs> well, it's it's more about the the. I already mentioned how I play soccer a little bit. We discussed it a little <laughs> bit just a second ago. Jesse Zardes might might look uh, technical skill wise a little bit like me, but he scores a heck of a lot more goals yeah, than I do. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a guy who it's been hard to keep him out of the lineup because when he's in it, he scores. If Pepe keeps scoring and looking a lot better doing it, I think that, you know, by the time he's 19, 20, it'll be interesting to see where Pepe is playing at this time next year. If FC Dallas sells him to a big European club, it might be hard to say this guy is okay. This guy is still producing and now he's playing at like Dortmund or whatever it is. Right, right. It's going to be hard to say that's not the number one striker it, for the United States. It, is he playing enough minutes regularly and gaining confidence and scoring so that he continues to develop so that he's ready for that. I think that's, that remain that's sort of what the question is, right? Cause if mm-hmm. he gets old and all of a sudden he's just coming in and playing like the last 14 minutes of every game and he's not getting opportunities with the ball at his feet very often, which again is not necessarily his strength. He's a, a finisher, yeah. but like that, that's not going to necessarily help him all that much develop in, in our situation yeah. here as us fans. So, uh, but it was fun to watch him finish. And I'll tell you, like the composure on that kid is off the charts. Like he's yeah, very yeah. calm. And I, I think, you know, mentioning where he ends up, I think it, it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of work it out that he finds the place that best helps him peak, um, you know, next November, that traditional <laughs> World Cup timing. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if it's something where a club like Bayern Munich that has a great relationship with FC Dallas buys him from FC Dallas and then loans him back, so that he continues playing in the United States because that's where he gets the, the greatest number of minutes and lets him continue to, to play a ton and get his goal scoring boots all shined up over the course of the summer. Yep. That's something that's something that I think would be among the, the best possible outcomes for him because he's made that big move, but is still getting the playing time at FC Dallas and FC Dallas has kind of earned a reputation for maybe selling their guys before being able to see exactly how successful they will be in the future and, and getting maybe that loan back a little bit and, and saying, Hey, we sold Ricardo Pepe for a big profit, but we're also still profiting from the goals that he puts into the back of the net would be something that I think, um, the Hunt family, the, the famed FC Dallas owners, uh, would would absolutely love to see. So it feels like, number one, is this a problem that we've seen this team have very often, where you've got Wea, Reina, Pulisic, Zardes, Pepe for for three spots or four spots? Like, do you think... Do you think this is not normal, right? <laughs> yeah, not at the, not at this level. You've seen them have you know five or six guys for four or five positions, but they haven't been five or six guys playing at the biggest clubs in the world, or you know one of the young starlets like like Pepe, who's going to be playing at one of the biggest clubs in the world soon enough. So it is definitely on a level that I guess you could say is commensurate with the rise of this U.S. men's national team into kind of the global stage, and and hopefully they can continue that rise into the World Cup. So I've written down a lot of names here. I wrote down the lineups you suggested. You did not. You did not take a stand uh, on the top of the formation. Give me. Give, take, take a stand. Put your foot in the ground and say this is what I think gives us the best chance to win. Uh, I mean, Pulisic, outside of Pulisic, because he's obviously yeah, yeah. Pulisic on the left. Uh, Pe- I think Pepe up top. By the time we get to next November, December, I Pepe like up it. Top. I like it. And then, oh, man, I'm between. I'm between Reyna playing there or playing as that attacking midfielder, right? I'll just stick him there because it's easier to put Musa in the middle. Okay. All right. There you go. I've, I've written it all down. We'll post it. And uh, 
we'll, we'll see what happens because I, again, I, I think there's a lot of excitement about this team, but a lot of development still to come. Mm-hmm. And we need to see these guys continue to grow and continue to, to, to put points on the board um, in the CONCACAF standings. I think that, I think we're in good shape. I'm not losing yeah. my mind over the Panama match. We'll see what happens against Costa Rica on Wednesday, but I do feel like I'm watching something different than I have my entire life. And I like that. <laughs> I like that, yeah. that feeling um, that I'm, that I get when I watch the talent and the youth and, and the exuberance and all that stuff. So, all right, just wanted to, I know that was a little deep dive there into what we think the lineup could look like, but I just wanted you to do that, Tim, because I find myself asking these questions during the matches and I don't know. We're going to go Google are. all these guys after the recording, huh? No, no, are you kidding? I know who all these guys are. Come on. I know, I don't know where they play in Europe, but I know who these guys are and I'm, and I'm going, uh, he's fast. I want, I want him on the team. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I just hope everybody um, gets a good sense as to where the, the entire roster's headed mm-hmm. as we still have a long way to go before they're actually playing or on the plane, like you said, uh, to the World Cup. All right, so let, let's wrap up here. Just just glancing at Nashville SC's uh, match coming up. Again, make sure you check out the website, clubcountryusa.com, Club Country on Twitter as well. You can follow me, of course, at Braden Gall, uh, at 440 Sports. And I don't, I don't remember where Wes is. Wes changes his Twitter handle. I gotta <laughs> be, I mean, he claims that you made him do it. So I, I, I recommended <laughs> that it would be easier if it wasn't like at TN underscore bowl dot West dot right, I'll, 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 you know? I'll throw him a bone at West bowling TN. That's short for or the, the postal code for Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. There you go. Uh, so let this coming up this weekend, Nashville, SC back on the pitch, DC United. We talked about it earlier in the show, huge stretch, huge match. Uh, this is second place. And fifth place in the table, only separated by seven points. What can fans expect? It was a hell of a performance against DC at home a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, on August 15th, Nashville just just absolutely took it to a DC team that looked like it was going to potentially challenge NSC in the table at that time. And as you mentioned, they're only, they're only seven points back, so it could still happen, especially with a win um, in Audi Field this weekend. But it's something that Nashville kind of put its flag in the dirt and said, we are, we are the team that we said we wanted to be and you know it's kind of been a theme that you and I have talked about in the, in the Nashville SC portions of this podcast so far it's something that Nashville maybe has surprised people by being able to, to put that flag in the dirt as frequently as it has going on the road in major league soccer is a completely different question this will be Nashville's sixth away match in its past seven matches um, you know the second half of the season is completely loaded with away matches so it's not something new to them coming off of the break this past weekend, it might not even be that big of a deal because it, it can feel like you were just at home this weekend and, and you didn't even have to play a game. <laughs> you get, you got your rest, fresh, fresh legs. Yeah. You got your rest. Plus you didn't have to leave home. So that, that can definitely change it a little bit, but DC is a club that can have wildly variable results. They, they are a very good offensive team. I'm the third highest scoring team in the league. Uh, New England revolution has 57 goals. Sporting Kansas city has 51 goals. DC is right behind them with 49. So they're a very, very high scoring team. I'm striker Ola Kamara, a Norwegian guy leads the golden boot race. He has 17 goals so far this year. Um, if you want to know where Nashville SC's top guys are, Hani Mukhtar is tied for fourth with 13. CJ Sapong is tied for 14th with 10. So that they're not too far behind. And, and maybe you, you're seeing that Nashville has a little bit more of a one-two punch than relying on one guy. But, uh, you know, to give credit to DC, when that one guy is scoring like Ola Kamara is, you are not too upset about that, I'd say. The big deal, I think, that makes them so wildly variable is not only do they have that good offense, they have a pretty terrible defense. <laughs> they have the, they're tied for the worst defense in the East among the teams that are 
realistically in contention for the playoffs. Maybe if, if a, a club that's close to the bottom right now really has a strong finish to the year, but 41 goals against is something that is, is not, it's not necessarily what you would expect for a team that's competing for the playoffs, unless they're outscoring people more often than not, which they sometimes are, as we've just mentioned, um, they are getting pretty bad goalkeeping, which is unfortunate because um, one of their guys, Bill Hamid is a fringe U S men's national team player. He was out for the gold cup. Um, he was the third goalkeeper during the gold cup. He's been injured a little bit this year as well. They're getting even worse goalkeeping from his backups, but he is not having the sort of year yeah. that you, yeah. that you would expect him to have. And, and um, we saw uh, that Nashville kind of said, regardless of who your goalkeeper is, we're going to test him. Hamid did not play in Nissan stadium. So it was one of the backup goalkeepers. I do not remember which one. I think John Kempen off the top of my head. It's not in the rundown. This is all coming straight off the brain. It's insane. I'm, <laughs> and they, they don't like to your point about the variable nature of their, their game. Like they just keep going, whether they're yeah. up by two or down by two, mm -hmm. it's an even mat. It doesn't like, they're just going to keep yeah. coming at you. And that of course is why their defense has struggled. And that's yeah. why Nashville SC took advantage back in the first match. And, I don't, you know, the keeper might, I think there was like one or two that may, might've been saved. One of them was, one of them was pretty bad. One of them the was really of bad. Of them were whatever. Right. But right. If you're getting blasted on from every angle, yeah. like it's not always your fault. So yeah. Give the backup keeper that we can't remember. <laughs> we can't even remember his name. That's how much. I'm pretty was. sure it was John Kempen. I think or, it was. Too. Since I don't remember the other guy's name at all, it was probably John Kempen. <laughs> if we're going to rip on him, we should use his name, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Well, or, or we can just let him escape anonymously one or the other, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. Cause you do mention that they, they, they just keep coming. And I think that has been a big part of the philosophy that new coach Hernan Losada brought in this year. It's something that he really believes in. He's the, there were a bunch of, you know, puff pieces in this preseason, like all oh, this guy's obsessed with fitness. He's testing his players um, body fat percentages and stuff all the time. And I'm like, seems like something that they should be doing anyway. That's like, you know, how, how in shape are your players is kind of an important thing when they're professional athletes, but yeah, he's a, he's a guy who kind of is, has a reputation as being fitness obsessed a little bit. And that's something that, um, you know, obviously when it's going well, you, you hear those positive stories, those, those human interest stories talking about how great it is. And when it doesn't go well, people say, maybe he should have focused on tactics a little bit more or something like that. But yeah, but I like that voice you're doing there. It's yeah, good. yeah, no, yeah, I, I have all these all these voices in here. You don't want to you don't want to hear me run through the gamut of, of the peanut gallery voices that I can that I can spit out. For what is you, Twitter? What does Twitter guy uh, voice sound like? I don't know. Maybe Mickey Mouse. No, I'm not going to do another. I'm not going to do another <laughs> voice. Yes, oh, yes, man. you can you can be Twitter guy Mickey Mouse over there. Uh, see, I don't I don't. It doesn't go high pitched squeaky <laughs> mouse for me. It goes like obnoxious mouth breather. That's what the Twitter guy goes like. It goes like obnoxious mouth breathing, like hill hillbilly. That's that's the direction I hear all tweets in. It might come, <laughs> it, it might be coming from New York. It might be coming from Paris. It might be coming from you know Los Angeles. I still hear it in like a mouth breathing. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's still the voice I hear on Twitter. So. Yeah, are, are you familiar with the comedian slash actor David Cross? He has a great bit that it's like not all not all people who are white trash had this accent, but only people who are white trash had this <laughs> accent. Um, you may know him as Tobias from Arrested Development. He's yes. a pretty well-known actor. Yeah. Not all of A is B, but all of yeah. B is A. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, well, it should be a huge match and it's a huge week next week. Of course, for SC, mm -hmm. they will play Wednesday against Columbus at home. Uh, just two days after the Bills Titans game. Again, you pointed that out. That seems odd. And then Saturday they're back at Philadelphia. And I know Wes will be back next week to, to pre to recap the DC match, uh, finish up the Costa Rican match. And of course, look ahead to a huge weekend of Nashville SC soccer. I can't believe we've only got six matches left. It has gone by very quickly. Yeah, it, it has absolutely flown by. And that's, 
a blessing and a curse because it has been a fun whirlwind, but it still gives you kind of that bittersweet feeling that it, this is going to be wrapping up so soon. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to, to watch this season end and, and not be able to kind of live through it anymore because it has been such a fun ride. Well, we've got a, a grueling couple of weeks here with six matches and then a big time tournament coming. So uh, I think there's a lot still left, on, a lot of meat left on the bone still, Tim. So don't, <laughs> don't go, don't get, don't get too sad and depressed on me just, just yet. They're only two points up on Philly. Uh, and of course, have an opportunity to have two home playoff matches in just their second season after what happened last year. It is a remarkable story, and I think we're all along for the ride, and it's going to be a hell of a trip. So anything else you'd like to add? What's coming up on the website this week, my man? Uh, I am I'm playing catch up a little bit. I have not I have not talked too much about the men's national team games yet. I'm going to have some of that stuff up, and I'm going to dive in with both feet on this DC preview because, like you mentioned, there's so little left. I, I really feel the responsibility to talk about it as in depth as I, as I often do, but maybe even in more depth after a week to recharge my batteries. I'm not going to lie. I needed, I needed a little bit of a, a break <laughs> from the MLS season too. It's a, it's a slog there, there you, yeah, no, somebody asked me like, well, how long was this? I was like, it's baseball. It's yeah. Baseball season. And, and I, this, people that don't know are shocked by that. And I go, well, it, what, are you really like, it's, <laughs> I, I want more, give me more games. It's not, it's not like, it's not yeah. like the NBA or the NHL when I want to slim the schedule down, I'm cool with more matches. So uh, all right, Tim. Um, otherwise, everybody go to the website, clubcountryusa.com. Also the same name for the Twitter account as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all the good places. You need to check out all of Tim's work all over the place there as well. Wes will be back next week, and uh, the pace will increase when he returns, of course. I We played for a draw today. I don't know if we got there, <laughs> but, but we probably did a little bit better than, than the U.S. men's national team did on Sunday. So. <laughs> Is that too, is that too it's soon? Still too, it's still too soon. Yeah. <laughs> still too soon. We're recording this on Monday, so it's very, very fresh for me. Uh, for Tim Sullivan, of course, special thanks to Moon Taxi as well for providing us all the great music here on the Club and Country Podcast. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Please rate, review, subscribe, share the show. The gang is back together next week. Enjoy a huge weekend of soccer for both the men's national team and Nashville SC. We'll talk to you again next week, everybody. Thanks for listening. This has been Club and Country here on the 440 Sports Network.